intentions of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, it's generally not appropriate to clap in church, but I think that's something worth clapping for, so let's do it together. <laughs> It's a wonderful thing to see those coming of age beginning to profess their faith in the Lord and beginning to understand what it is that we're all about as Christians, which is loving and serving the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that he first loved us. Today's readings contain a great challenge. For last week we talked about what it meant to give God an offering of thanksgiving and praise. And that context is very important in today's gospel because that's the context of what's going on here as Jesus presents the summary of the law, the love of God. And the love of God is paradoxical, particularly, I think, to we modern Westerners as we understand the word love or as we don't understand the word love. For the creator of all things, in whom, as Acts 17, 28 says, we live and move and have our being, begins by commanding us as his people to love him. But he commands us to love out of his love. Which is really kind of weird to think about, if you've ever thought about it. Uh, he commands us to love out of his love. That's usually not how things go, right? When you command someone to love, what? Is it for their best? Well, in God's sense, it is. For God, it is. It always is. It seems a bit absurd to us, however. And yet it makes complete sense when you consider that God is the author of love and that God created us and created our natures and knows what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be more than we do. It's more than an instinct, this love. It's the very design. You see, we as human beings are built to love. But ever since sin entered into the world, we have to be commanded to love because our natural loves, our natural inclinations, are to love wrong things. And we see that in our own lives as well as throughout the world. But we see in today's gospel lesson that Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's what Deuteronomy says. So when Jesus commands the Pharisees of all people in today's reading to love the Lord their God with all of their mind and their heart, he's quoting the law back to them. And our sin, as I've already said, gets in the way misdirecting that love. Our loves are broken up and weakened by a lack of both understanding, because we don't know what love is, 
and a lack of resolve because our wills are weak. Humans love things other than God, before God, and therefore in place of God, right? We sang about not serving idols. I love that, that hymn Jesus calls us. Did you catch that verse about casting those things out that we might love God? Humans, however, do not naturally do that because it's not just our, sin, our choices that are sins. It's the fact that we struggle with a sinfulness within ourselves since Adam's fall. And those things that we love in place of God don't just make God justly angry, as the prayer book says, justly wrathful, but they actually harm us. And so to be commanded to love God is like saying, do this thing that's going to be good for you. Right? And don't do those things which are bad for you. And yet our, our sight, our vision is so messed up. St. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1 when he says, they became futile in their thinking and darkened in their hearts. That's a passage to meditate on. What's it mean to become futile in your thinking and darkened in your heart? But thank God that's not the story of the Christian. That's not the story of the Christian. Or at least it shouldn't be. For in last week's sermon you heard something about how people who are in Christ exchange not the glory of the immortal God for idols, but the foolishness of worshiping the gods of the nations or idols for God. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is pointing out in today's gospel text is that even those who are part of God's people must make sure that they're putting the most important things first in their love life, in their loves, in their ordering of their lives. Because true love must deny things in order to love. Notice, when a bride and the groom stand before the altar, they forsake all others for the sake of what? Love. Right? They're forsaking other loves for this better love. And that's what our Lord Jesus comes to us asking us to do as well. Consider the most important loves need to be elevated, while the less important loves need to be subjected. Both movements need to go on in ourselves. We need to elevate in our minds, in our hearts, the things that ought to be loved, and we need to subjugate or subject the things that are lesser loves in our minds and hearts. The setting of Jesus' interaction in today's gospel is important. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Matthew 22, verse 34. Today's passage is found in a larger context, isn't it? 
Those of you that have your Bibles with you, what just happened in Matthew 22? I gave you a chance to open up. What just happened in Matthew 22? Before Jesus dialogues here with the Pharisees. Who does he dialogue with? Thank you. The Sadducees about the resurrection. The Sadducees about the resurrection. See, the Sadducees just asked Jesus about the resurrection and tried to trap him with a question about marriage, of all things, right? Jesus rebukes them, however, and the crowds are amazed. Only then does he indirectly, after he indirectly answers questions and chastising them, does he then turn to talking to the Pharisees once they've been si- the Sadducees have been silenced. Now, I ask you, was silencing the Sadducees loving? Not a trick question. This is Jesus our Lord, who's commanding us to love with all of our hearts, our minds, and our souls, and setting us a model. Was silencing the Sadducees loving? Thank you. Yes. Absolutely. Is that how we think of love? No, not generally. But Jesus silences and rebukes them, chastises them, and then the Pharisees too, because he loves them. For Jesus calls the Pharisees out next, after silencing the Sadducees, in today's passage, for not loving, ironically, but not also understanding what Scripture has to say. Jesus points them back to Psalm 110, verse 1, when he says to them this, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Now we're going to come back and look at exactly what Jesus is doing here. But for many people, this would be seen as unloving. Because for many people, loving, quote-unquote, equals avoiding conflict. How many of us think of loving that way? At least sometimes. I know I do. Or making no waves. Or not hurting other people's feelings. Worse yet, for many, love means affirmation. Blind affirmation. That you must agree with someone in order to love them. That you have to agree with their choices or with their version of reality, in order to be loving towards them. Such love might be soft-hearted, but it's also soft-headed. And it's not really love. For true love must discern what is true and what is false, what is good and what is wicked. True love must subject lower things to higher ones. And someone's feelings and opinions of you are decidedly lower things. Lower things. In most all cases. To a higher one, which is truth. And so, Jesus gives us not just a teaching today, but also a model of love. And it's kind of an uncomfortable model, because none of us like it. The model is 
suspend temporary comfort for the cost of eternal truth. Suspend temporary avoidance of conflict for something better, the true way, true knowledge, true relationship, true love. True love is what Jesus is talking about here, and true love is patient and courageous. Jesus loves the Sadducees, you see. Jesus loves the Pharisees, you see. Jesus loves them more than they deserve to be loved. He loves his enemies just as he commands us to love our enemies. And he commands his disciples to do the same. Now, let's continue in our gospel passage. Look with me at verse 41 and 42. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. It would have been really easy for Jesus at this point to tell the Pharisees, You're right, and walk away. Is the Christ the son of David? Yes. He is. But he is also something more. He's not just the son of David. You see, the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one, is the son of David, and yet he's also the son of God. And so this is a question of reality that Jesus is dealing with, with the Pharisees. The Pharisees knew that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we read this. Your house and your kingdom will, will endure forever before me, the Lord says to David. Your throne will be established forever. The Pharisees also know Psalm 110, the psalm that says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. But the Lord Jesus sees here that loving God with all of one's heart and all of one's soul and all of one's mind means laying aside your agenda for the Lord's. Your reality, whatever that is, for the Lord's. And he's saying that to the Pharisees. You see, the author of all truth and love in his love is demanding a loyalty to the truth and to himself in doing this with the Pharisees. Do you see that? Jesus is trying to open their minds. He's trying to enlighten their minds and their hearts that they might see that he is the Christ. And they're trying to trap him. St. John Chrysostom writes, Jesus asks these questions, secretly leading them to confess him also to be God. For having asked them first, since they answered not the truth concerning him, to overthrow their mistaken opinion, he thus introduces David, proclaiming his Godhead. Now, don't miss what's going on here. Again, look at verse 43. Jesus said to them, How is it that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? David is calling him, the Christ to come, Lord, in Psalm 110. He's calling Jesus Lord. And so what Jesus is doing is highlighting that fact to them. 
And notice that in loving the truth first, they don't lose who Jesus, who the Son of God, I'm sorry, who the Christ is as the Son of David, but also gain who the, son, who the Christ is as the Son of God. And the point is this. Jesus' love of neighbor is not superficial. And Jesus' love of neighbor is not disconnected from the love of God. The two must go together, must be bound together. Now let's look at love of neighbor. You see, it's not coincidental that both Matthew 22 and Mark 12, where the other version of this occurs, Jesus teaches on the summary of the law in the midst of conflict. He's teaching the summary of the law in the midst of conflict. Nor is it coincidental that when conflict arises, Jesus does what? He doesn't run away. He doesn't shrink back. But he pushes into his love of the Father. Do you see that? For when we push into the love of truth, we push into the love of the Father. That's a model for us. You know, the Reformers knew that. And so here on the Sunday that the Lutherans call Reformation Sunday, we can celebrate things like the fact that our Holy Communion service begins with what? The summary of the law. Not coincidental, because we need to hear this again and again in our lives to be bolstered to follow Christ, to love him and to love our neighbors. God reveals that he desires our love of him first with our whole mind, our whole soul, and our whole heart. As I talked to the, confirm- the catechumens this morning about, what does that mean? They started to unpack it and see that it means obedience It means more than just that, though. It means prioritization. It means putting ourselves into the hands of the Lord. As the Apostle John writes in his epistle, chapter 4, verse 19, we do that because he first loved us. So today's reading, dear friends, contains all of that and more. But I want to ask you, number one, How are you loving God with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength? For that's a challenge that we have to come back to every week. Do we love him with our mind? Do we take time to study his word, to know what it is that he commands? Do we love him with all of our heart? Do we love him with the core of our being? Or is our worship of him this segmented thing? something put aside just for Sunday mornings that doesn't affect our ethics or our politics, our family conversations, our jobs. Loving God with your whole heart has to involve Him touching your whole life. Otherwise, you don't really love Him. Jesus says in John's Gospel, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But if we don't know His commandments, how can we love Him? And if we don't try to keep His commandments by love... How could we know him? You see, in walking in love, in loving our neighbors, we have to know what love is, and we have to know how to love so that we can have an answer. But the same goes the other way. If all we're doing is studying, if all we're doing is looking at truth, we're just loving God with our mind, right? 
or just our own strength. And that, likewise, is not truly loving God. For God loves, as we heard in the Old Testament passage, those who are oppressed. God loves the sojourner. And so we must step out and love them in action, not just loving God in word. St. John writes a whole portion of his epistle on this, right? He says, if you say, I love God, but don't love your nut, who you haven't seen, but don't love your brother who's before you all the time, you're a liar. That's my paraphrase, but go look it up. You can't say that. How can you love God who you haven't seen without loving your brother whom you have seen? Whom you have seen. And so, dear friends, the challenge here is to love God with all ourselves and our priorities, to elevate the important things and subject the less important things, number one. Number two, to understand what love is, as God models it for us and not what we think it is. And number two, to love our neighbors in light of those two things so that we truly are loving them and not just affirming them or just making them feel comfortable. It's only by grace that we can do this. It's a Herculean task to love. It's only by grace that a husband and wife can last a lifetime loving one another. It's only by grace that the Christian can love God. It's only by grace that we can go forward and love our neighbor. Pray for that grace, but act in love and walk in love that you might be a sacrifice pleasing unto the Lord in all your life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.